everybody. Welcome to another episode of Vantage Point. I'm your host, Nick Ruffin, and I'm so excited to get going in this episode. We're on week three of a series that I've been doing called America Divided. I'm really hoping that it's been blessing you. Um, just a couple of few housekeeping items before we get into week three. I want to um, just announce again, I posted it on social media, but just another um, thank you and celebration. We hit a major milestone this past week. We hit over 4,000 downloads for Vantage Point Podcast. We're being heard in 16 different countries. I think it's absolutely crazy that somebody is hearing my voice right now in a different language, and I don't even speak those languages. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And then also, um, we're also now on iHeartRadio, Radio Public, still on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and so much more, so many more platforms. You can go to our website, um, www.vantagepointpodcast.us, go to Get Connected, and then you're able to find all the other avenues that we have for you to listen to Vantage Point. And so just want to give another heads up on what's coming up next. Like I said, we have two more episodes of America Divided, and then we're going to start a new series in August 4th that I'm super excited for, already starting to really put some some work and some muscle into it. So I'm hoping that it'll be uh, bless you more to come on that next week and what that series is. But I really want to just jump into week three of um, America Divided. And I really have pr- really been praying about the series, really been um, not necessarily struggling with it, but really just praying that it's blessing you, that you're getting something from it. Um, it's a little bit of a different um style and flow that I'm used to really digging into. So I'm just praying that as it's enlightening me, that it's it's challenging you um, and, and just building on this. And so what a lot of what we're seeing in the world right now is, is confusing. Uh, Phil, we, you know, you got so many emotions with everything going on. And so I just really wanted to take time in this series and shed light on division say, and, and just get a different vantage point about it. Because I think most of the time in our life, we tend to just settle um, for division, whatever we see it, whether it's politically, religiously, even racially, um, some degree we accept it and, and just pray it doesn't impact us. And I think 2020, this whole year, um, from pandemics to everything else that's going on, social injustice, death of more Black men at the hand of police, um, they, there's really a lot of, 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 of emotions and feelings going on right now. And I really feel like the base of it is people have just had enough and they want to see real change. And if this is your first episode um, or first time listening to us, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to parts one and two. Um, And part one of this series, America Divided, we talked really about the sin of division, wanted to define division, get an understanding of what it is. Um, I think we, you know, you hear certain words and I think we become numb to it and we just focus on just kind of a way that it is. And so I wanted to just shed light on that. Week two, we talked about the root of division, not necessarily um, not necessarily more of an understanding, but really an understanding of its origin, right? Where does it come from? Where do those roots begin? And we talked about filters and looking through the eyes of our heart, looking through the eyes of Jesus and using him as a filter to how we interpret the world and everything going on around us. And so in part three, um, we're gonna be talking about the face of division. We're going to get into this um, a little bit deeper, a little bit more in your face, literally, figuratively, and get a visual understanding of division. And really, the person that we've been or I've been talking about has been Paul. Um, And we went a lot 
um, really in depth with Paul in the last two episodes. We talked about, you know, the first time we see Paul in the Bible is at the death um, of Stephen when he's being stoned by the by the crowd and by the folks that are that are you know unhappy with him and they're not feeling what his message is about the gospel. And so we see Paul as this kind of godfather-like figure who is literally approving the death and the stoning of, the, of one of God's apostles. And then we start to see Paul on his road to Damascus when he encountered Jesus himself. And he now has a renewing of his mind and his heart. And then we, we got into that, that moment with Ananias and how the scales fell. And we want to really just continue from there and um, go through where, you know, right around in Acts 9 where we left off. And one of the things that it says after the scales fell off is like that basically Paul, Paul got right to work in his new calling. He didn't waste any time. He literally went to work preaching the gospel literally days after um, he uh, was converted and had, and had the scales removed from his eyes. So we're going to start actually in Acts 9, 20 and 22. And so it says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and it baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And it's such an interesting kind of journey through Acts when we first get introduced to Paul and we start to see that really through Acts 9 and 14 that he there, there's still this division or, or this spirit of division that follows Paul. Um, now we know, um, you know, we typically hear the good side of Paul, right? He, he met Jesus on the road. He, he went and preached. He wrote two thirds of the, the New Testament and he, you know, one of God's greatest apostles and, and all of these things. But there's really these moments in Paul's journey where he's going from town to town and he's going from city state to city state and he's preaching the gospel and preaching the gospel. And we tend to see this spirit of division just keep following him, but it looks different now, right? Because before it was, you know, Paul was with the Pharisees. He was on that side of the fence. And, you know, for the most part, those people all agreed with him. Hey, you're doing what you're doing. We believe that. Let's do this. And then the division was between the believers of Jesus or the way, as they called it. And then Paul was their oppressor, was their, was their murderer, was all of these things. But now Paul has transformed and he is now on their side he's preaching the gospel to gentiles and jews and everybody in between but yet every time he goes to these cities there's these there's this mixed reaction right there's some people who are just all for it and they follow him and they start leading him and the church grows but yet there's these other people who don't see it his way and they either plot to kill him. They either show division amongst themselves. And I just want to touch into to some of those things as we kind of go through this, this episode. And it's going to be a lot of scripture in this episode. And I, I just had such a, such an awesome time reading through the book of Acts because I don't, I don't know that I've really delved, dove into it um, as deeply as I did for this episode. And so I, I really just, the revelation and what God was showing me is just so good. And so, like I said, Acts 9 through 14, we see Paul on this journey. And one of the ones in particular I want to touch on, Acts 9, 22 to 25. And it says, yet Saul grew more and more powerful 
and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. This is Paul's real first time preaching, and, and we mentioned that earlier. And it literally led to people still questioning his validity, questioning, um, is he really who he says he is? Is he really believing this? Um, and how could he do this, right? How, what, what is going on? And so now they're, they're, here's that first little sliver of the division that followed him. Um, they're, they're plotting to kill him. We see it again later on in Acts 9, 26, and 30. And Paul's trying to join the disciples of Jesus. He's trying to roll. He's trying to be with them, trying to be with the crowd. And literally the crowd is like, wait a minute, hold on. We, we don't believe you are really a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so here's yet again, this spirit of division that's following Paul. And, you know, he's seeing it like, man, well, I'm changed now. I should be accepted to you now. I mean, I know I used to kill you and kill your friends and, and all of that, but now I'm with you. And he just, I, I really feel like he, there, there wasn't another, he just couldn't get it. Like, I'm with you now, but you won't accept me. And so there's still this like division. They still see him as this divisive um, figure in their, in their journey. But ultimately, uh, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And then Acts 26 through 30 uh, goes on to say, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellen Hellenistic Jews, that is, Jews who adopted the Greek language and culture, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea, don't even know how to say that, um, but they sent him down and sent him off to, to Tarsus. And now again, here, he, here is Paul speaking boldly, speaking the gospel, and yet again, divisiveness follows and people are against and want, and want to kill him. Um, even with him and Barnabas are now, they're leaving the synagogue in Acts 13, 42 through 45 and verse 50. It says, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, people, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And this is the part that really, again, another moment of division. When the Jews saw the crowds that were there for Paul and not them, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. And it's so interesting to me that he's literally preaching what they believe, and yet jealousy fills their hearts, and they start to see they don't like, they're not liking what they're seeing, and so now they begin to contradict what he's saying as he's preaching the, the word of God, basically. And verse 50 says, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. 
So their influence, they were so worried about the, the, the influence of Paul and Barnabas, not necessarily the, the influence of Jesus to transform people, they sent them away from the region. Um, even in Antioch, when they went, Paul received both negative and, and positive criticism. And now he's experiencing this jealousy because of his influence that kicked out of the area. And then we get to Acts 14 when they went to Iconium and it says Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. They, there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up, up, stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, other with, others with the apostles. There was a plot going on among both Jews and Gentiles together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But again, they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Der Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. Again, here, here we see Paul is, is doing what God told him to do, and yet again, this division follows him. And I know that's a lot of scripture, but I, I hope you're starting to see, see a theme in this, this journey of Paul's life. And really, um, it, it really gets me to, you know, kind of a couple of points here, right? Paul, number one, Paul is still seen as a divisive person. Um, first, it was as a, as a murderer, as killing Christians. Now, as a follower of Jesus, the people who now are against, the same people he was with, are seeing him, and now they're device, divided against him as well. Another thing that we see is that, you know, one of the, we begin to see that Paul, and later on, and we're going to get into that a little bit, Paul ultimately sees himself as who he was and ultimately who he is. He can still see this division. He can still feel and sense it. And even as we get into, you know, looking at Paul's experiences, because I really feel like his life is unique in the sense that he's, he has the rare opportunity that he's on both sides. He's been on both sides, right? He's been on the, on the, the, the anti-Christ side, and now he's on the pro-Christ side. And when you think about even today, you know, we've heard stories um, from like white supremacists or people who are racist and people who did things and now they're on this other side and their experiences. And, you know, those people have a unique experience and a unique narrative in the sense that they were on such a volatile side of divisiveness and now they're on a different side of it. And so they have a perspective that you know, very few of us get to have, right? There were very few people who had a Saul to Paul conversion where they could experience, have both sides of this, this kind of narrative to talk through and see. And we even see this from Paul um, in um, Acts 22, verse three and five. And Paul, really what I feel like is seeing himself for who he was and ultimately who he is and trying to drive unity. And so Paul says in this verse, I am a Jew, born into Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. I studied under these leaders and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way 
to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can testify, that can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from their, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to be punished in Jerusalem. And literally another part of that in Acts 22, and flow further down, 19 and 20, Paul says, Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of our martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Paul, in this moment, I, I really feel like this is something that a lot of people can learn from um, when it talks about what does division look like. Paul is literally seeing himself for the divisive character that he was. He literally has just told, told us he gave the approval to murder one of Jesus' apostles, and he stood there and pretty much looked over the, the people who was killing Stephen, looked over their clothes. He was guarding them. And that's just something that, honestly, we just, we, we want need to see a lot more of in this day and age, especially when we talk about social injustice, Black inequality, covert racism, whatever you want to, whatever level, magnitude you want to call it, how would we all see people who said, you know what, I did um, deny Black applicants because of the color of their skin. I did, um, you know, deny loans to families because of their race or because of their income or because of this. I did deny, like, where are the people who can honestly stand up and say, yes, that was me. That was who I was. That is who I am. That is what I've done. And again, in verse, in Acts 26, Paul again stands up in front of the court, in front of a king, and he says, they, in, in Acts 26, 5 and 6, they have known me for a long time and can testify. If they are willing that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee, and now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. Man, if you read through, and I, I didn't read through all of it here, but if you really read through the entire chapter 26, Acts chapter 26, it sounds so much like what we hear today um, on so many different levels, what we've heard literally in 2020. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, there's, there's such a call for people that we, we want people to stand up and speak up on racism and social injustice. And we've seen people do that, white, Hispanic, every, we've seen people do it. We've seen people own their moments, own and acknowledge their faults, their mistakes, their wrong mindsets. But in the same vein, there are people, um, and if you, if you do go back and read, I encourage you to do it, Acts 26, you will see Paul literally tell his story, tell his testimony of his experience. And at a point when he gets to really the, the moment he gets to the end of it, what we see is, is Festus stand up and literally tell Paul he's out of his mind and your learning and your experience is driving you crazy. So I, I find that funny because a lot of what we see today, and, and I can speak as, a, as an African-American man is 
you know, I can share my experience with racism and social injustice and inequality. And there will literally be people who will tell me that that's crazy, that that's not true. That's not the way the world is. And I, I never thought that I would, you know, hear or see people try to explain my testimony to me, explain my experience to me. Um, you know, that's the great thing about my experiences or your experiences, they're yours. I can't tell you your experience is wrong. That it's your experience, it's your perception, it's your, your narrative, your belief, your, your moment in whatever it is. And who am I to tell you that that's wrong? That's crazy, that doesn't make sense. That's what we hear now, you know, and I really feel like that is what, when you hear someone says black lives matter, and then somebody immediately says, no, all lives matter. And I can't remember if I said this in, in, in part one or part two, I'm sure I, I think it was part one, but I'll say it here again for, for those that are listening and, and may not understand, to say black lives matter is not saying all lives don't. That, that, is, that is probably the biggest, again, misconception and where people will say, well, no, you're crazy for saying black lives matter because now you know. All we're saying is, all that means is that we want to highlight, we are highlighting the injustice that has happened to black people for X number of years. That is what the meaning of that is. That is the goal of that. It's not to tell you your life doesn't matter if you're white, Hispanic, Asian, Chinese, Filipino, Irish, British. It, it's not to say your life doesn't matter. It's literally saying we want to be included in the conversation, in the equality. Um, that is the goal of that movement. And when you start to see that people want to try to um, downplay or reject your experiences, it just means that they're even more, to me, that just means they're more divisive in, 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 in maintaining that status quo of division. And, you know, there, we, we see too many people who, who don't feel like there is division in America. They, they'll say, um, you know, why are you calling for equality? You have the same opportunities as I do. Again, my experience is not your experience. Your experience is not mine. That's where we get to this moment with Paul in this journey. And I would really say that there are four things that we can take away from this, from Paul's journey. And it really ties into everything that we're seeing in America, in this world. And the first thing we can take away is looking in the mirror. We have to be able to see our role in division. I think there's too many people that's been, they spend too much of their time telling the other side they're wrong, rather than spending time examining themselves and asking, have I can, how have I contributed to their experience of division? Um, they, they, there's too many times where, you know, we won't take the time to really look in the mirror and ask ourselves. We're too busy looking at the other person and wondering, what are they talking about? How do you not see this? And then we try to justify that something doesn't exist when actuality it does. And so we really have to be able to take that away from this because we see Paul doing it. He, he literally knows who he was. Yep, I was divisive. That's who I was. Literally Saul equaled divisive. That, that's, I mean, that's literally what he's saying. But 
God has transformed me into this mindset and this is where I am now. Um, the second piece of this is we have to be willing to listen. And going back to social injustice and inequality, you know, people, people want to spend less time listening. And, and I think when you look at our political landscape in this country, you look at Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, um, you know, th there's a point where we have to stop talking and we have to start listening. Because when you listen, um, you, you begin to get an understanding or at least a perspective that you didn't have uh, about a situation or a person or, or anything, right? And even to this, you know, the, it was funny, it, it, you know, again, it stands out to me in this, in this scripture that they allowed Paul to speak. They, you can defend yourself. Tell us what's going on. And then at a point, they're like, okay, no, you're crazy. Stop talking. And I feel like that's what we do here. Uh, again, 2020, so many correlations. But when we listen with the limits, you know, that, that's not listening. What that really does is we undermine unity, we undermine compassion, and we undermine understanding. Because all we're saying is, you know what, I'll listen to you for a moment until you say something I don't like, and then we, I can't listen anymore. So now I'm not open to you anymore. The third piece of this, we have to be willing to examine. And this really goes to that first takeaway of looking in the mirror. But when we take the time to examine ourselves, we can begin to fully see the effects our actions have had on division. Um, examining yourself takes time, it takes an open heart, and it takes the ability to accept what we see. Because I really feel like, and I said this to someone uh, about a month ago, America is getting a real good look at herself right now. And the truth of the matter is, she doesn't like what she sees. And if we go back to our own salvation, our own transformation, there were points in our life where we didn't like what we saw when we began to self-examine. We didn't like what we saw. It was ugly, it was dangerous, it was divisive, whatever your narrative is. I think that's one thing, even though we may all have different journeys and different experiences, there we can all point to points or point Point, a point or different points, multiple points in our lives where we know we didn't like what we saw about ourselves. But we have to be willing to examine that with an open heart and accept it because we can spend time literally examining your experience more than I examine myself. And, you know, I, I've heard this narrative or read this narrative around racial inequality and people will say, well, black people are free. You don't know how good you have it now. Don't get me wrong. I am very much aware that I am not in the position my ancestors were. And I'm grateful for that. However, there is still much to do, much to go, much to learn, much to change in this race that we're running. There's still, we still need to build unity. We still need to build equality. You know, I have children and eventually my children will have children. And, and my prayer is that they have more opportunities than I have. So if I'm looking at my ancestors, I've seen these, like I am my ancestors' greatest dream. Like I want the generations after me to have even more equality than I have, even more inclusion than I have. And that's where 
we all have to be able to examine ourselves, especially device people who drive division when it comes to that equality. We have to do that. Um, I'm going to share another personal experience about examining something that I feel has been a topic of debate now for almost, I believe, three years now. And it's kneeling for the anthem. And I know earlier I talked about having a, a, a multiple, multifaceted perspective on something like Paul was on both sides of, a, you know, he had been on both sides of the coin. Um, I myself have been on multiple sides. I, I was in the military, I'm a veteran. Um, and, and I watched a, a clip a little while ago of um, baseball players dealing for the anthem, the entire team, I believe with the Yankees and the Nationals, I think. And all 50 players that were on the field all kneeled for the anthem. And so I saw someone's post and basically they said, this is just so disrespectful. The national anthem is the song we play for our military and they're disrespecting the military, they're disrespecting the country. They're, this is just wrong. Now these players are white, black, Hispanic, and they're all kneeling. So I'm gonna give you my perspective and, and, and examining this thing, right? And we all, people are not examining their, all the, their initial reaction is this is disrespectful, I have to react. But really the response should be, why are they doing this? Let me examine why this is. Let me ask, hey, why are you kneeling? Instead of saying it's wrong, we need to ask why. I, as, as, a, as a black man, as a veteran of this military, felt no disrespect um, from these players or anybody that has kneeled for the national anthem. And really the truth of the matter is the song is for the country, not the military. First of all, each military branch has its own song, its own honoring music that they play. But the Star Spangled Banner is the anthem of the country. So it's the song that's for our country. And all these players are doing, and anybody that does it, whether they're white, black, Hispanic, or anything, any color of breed, they are calling out, they are, they are pro, it's a, it's a way that they are protesting to highlight social injustice in this country, specifically aimed at African Americans. That is why they're doing it. But you continue to have people who will tell me and them that that's wrong. You're disrespectful. Don't do that. That's crazy. Instead of listening and understanding why they kneel. Like that has to be the goal we have to do. And that really leads us in, and when you think about these takeaways, there's, there's this final takeaway that we have to get to. And it's willing, it's being willing to own your part. And I'll say it right off the bat, if the other three takeaways aren't genuinely taken care of, the fourth one won't happen. If you're not willing to look in the mirror, if you're not willing to listen, you're not willing to examine, you won't own your part. And owning your part without that self-reflection, an open ear and an open heart is nothing more than a facade and it's attached to a lie. And I love how Paul owns his actions. He says, yes, I was who you thought I was. I did what you know I did. I was the worst of who you could think I could be. I was this agent of division. I was this person. But literally, I am changed. My mindset is new. And I'm focused on bringing unity and change to, to a world. Like, could a racist own their part? 
Could they own their emotion? Could someone who mistreats the LGBTQ community own not only their actions, but even explain and, and have a conversation about why they feel what they feel? Because just like we, just like we can say somebody who's racist or so pro-America should be willing to ask, why do I kneel or why do I protest? we should be able to understand and ask, why do you hate me so much? Why do you see me as a threat? And then we have to be willing to understand and listen. And it, it happens on both sides. We have to do that. Face, the face of division is, is so familiar for, mo for most people. They see it every day when they wake up, staring back at them. It's, what, it's who they see. And some people know that's who they are. And some people don't know that's who they are. But this is why it's so key that we listen, take the time to examine ourselves and own our part. Because we really can get to the, to, to the real root and we see division for what it is. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a big quote person and I really saw this quote and it's just stood out to me and hopefully it stands out and connects all this together. But I really feel like it talks about that, that face of division and what division is. Um, but the quote is by Kamad Kajori, the poet. And it basically says, they want us to be afraid. They want us to be afraid of leaving our homes. They want us to barricade our doors and hide our children. Their aim is to make us fear life itself. They want us to hate. They want us to hate each other. They want us to practice aggression and perfect antagonism. Their aim is to divide us all. They want us to be inhuman. They want us to throw out our kindness. They want us to bury our love and burn our hope. Their aim is to take all of our light. They think their brick walls will separate us. They think their bombs will defeat us. They are so ignorant, they don't understand that my soul and your soul are old friends. They're so ignorant they don't understand that when they cut you, I bleed. They're so ignorant they don't understand that we will never be afraid, we will never hate, and we will never be silent, for life is ours. And I'll leave you with that quote, and I'll leave you with a prayer that just simply says, Lord, I pray that we can all take the time to really look at ourselves in the mirror, ask ourselves the question, have we been an agent of division in some way, shape, or form? Ask ourselves, show us, Lord, that you know, if we have been that, how can we change that? How can we move forward and drive unity, compassion, and understanding for all people? And how can we be open, you know, have a show us how to have an open heart to examine, show us how to have an open ear to listen. And when we hear and when we see and when we ask ourselves why, Lord. We just pray that we're able to own what we see in ourselves, not judging other people, not judging why they believe, not judging what they do, but really with a sincere heart and an open mind and ear. And we just pray these things right now, God. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And man, I thank y'all so much for, for being a part and rolling with me during the series. We got one more episode left. And that episode is going to be called The Cure of Division. And there's some things that I, I, I want, I'm going to share, and, and I pray that they 
help you and how they've helped me understand myself and other people to make sure that that we're not I'm not a driving force in division. And so I again can't wait for next Friday. Can't wait for the ser this series finale and what we have in store for August. So thank y'all for rolling with us one more week. And this has been Vantage Point. I'm Nick Ruffin. Catch you guys next Friday. <laughs>